Yes, indeed. We're back again. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You know that beat. This is the Keith Battle Podcast. I'm Keith Battle, and I am so grateful to be back in studio with you all again. A lot has been going on. Really great stuff, but it's really filled my schedule up. And um, But I'm really excited to be back with you all today. And today's podcast is really exceptional. You know, I think all of them are exceptional, but I'm especially honored today because I have someone uh, today on the Keith Battle podcast that I truly consider to be my mentor. Mm, let me introduce him to you all. Bob Bill is an executive mentor since 1976. He's personally consulted, consulted with over 500 senior executives. That's 43 years of mentoring CEOs and senior pastors of churches. So if you're in either one of those categories, you're in for a lot of brilliant insight and information. And in that time, he's also met one-on-one or one-to-one with over 5,000 board members and C-suite members and executive staff members. Bob has invested an estimated 50,000 hours or more in private sessions with some of the finest leaders of our generation. And I I call Bob, to me, he's like an organizational and life mechanic. And the the reason why I call him a mechanic is not to be condescending, but I say that because he's created and developed so many tools. He has over 65 tools like books and tapes and notebooks in the area of personal and organizational development. And we're going to touch on just a few of those tools in our time with Bob today. But he's got so many tools in his belt to help people in so many ways in their lives and leadership. Um, I just, I, he probably doesn't like that, but I call him an organizational life mechanic. He can, he, because without tools, you can't fix things. But uh, I've learned so much from him. Um, more about Bob, he served as an executive team on the executive team of World Vision. Also, for over 25 years, he served on the board of Jesus People International with Dwayne Peterson. For 31 years, he served on the board of Focus on the Family with Dr. James Dobson and Jim Daly. Bob started his formal formal education by attending Bethel College in Mishawaka, Indiana. He might pronounce that better than me when we talk. Mishawaka, Indiana, then transferred to Michigan State University, where he completed his coursework and receive a bachelor's degree in psychology. Bob continued his education there at Michigan State and got his master's degree in in counseling. He's been married to my play mom, Cheryl, for 55 years, and they live in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, They have a son born on the same day I am, but I'm their black son. I've sworn myself into their family. Bob, welcome to the Keith Battle Podcast. Honored to be here, Keith. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Is that the city you went to Bethel College? What is it? How do you pronounce that city? Mishawaka. You got it right. You got it right. That's where I have my garage with all my tools in it. Just kidding. (laughs) My tools are in in, uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. Nice, nice, nice. And we're going to talk about Scottsdale in a moment. So, Bob, let me start by saying this. If you can use only three words or adjectives to answer this question. What three words or adjectives would you use to tell our audience what has allowed you to go from being raised in an almost obscure small village of 800 residents in Massalona, Michigan, 
to being one of the most influential consultants of church and business leaders of our nation. What three words would you use as adjectives to describe how that happened? What, what, how it would define you as a person that got you from that place to where you are now? Oh, probably mentors, teachable, and uh, uh, third one is the hardest. Uh, 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 writer. Uh, when you're a writer, you keep thinking all the time. Uh, no. it, it's not just sitting there writing, but it's, it's thinking. You have to keep thinking about what you're going to write. So a, a writer, you think they're a writer, but actually they're a thinker uh, mm. before you can write. So uh, basically uh, the mentors I've had uh, being teachable and a thinker, which allows you to be a writer. Uh, I guess those three would be, uh, three that w- they just sort of pop into my head. You give me another 10 minutes, I'd probably come up with a different three, but the first three that pop into my head would be those probably. I love it. I love it. That's what I mean. You all, this, this is what he does. Like, like I would have never thought just in those terms that a writer's a thinker, but it makes sense. I guess a writer's a thinker who has put their thoughts out into the public view so that the public can hear their thoughts. Right. So that's what writers do. Great answer. So, Bob, you've seen you've seen it all in the world of leadership. Um, so, my question to you is: When you consider leaders, two different types of leader. On the one hand, the uber highly successful leader, that person who has just tremendous success, and you've seen many of those, I'm sure, versus those leaders who are moderately successful. Not that they're not successful, but their success levels in comparison to these uber highly successful leaders is uh, there's, a, there's a pretty significant gap. What are some of the distinguishing factors that you see when you look at the uber highly successful leaders versus maybe a moderate leader? What, is there another gear that you feel like those guys, those ladies have? And if so, what, what are those distinguishing factors? If, if that question makes sense. Yes. Uh, again, as a knee-jerk reaction, I would say often it's simply visibility. Uh, the, the highly successful are more visible than the moderately successful. Uh, often, if the moderately successful had the visibility, uh, th- they would be seen as highly successful. <laughs> uh so visibility plays a major role in it. But one of the major, major factors in it is the uh, uh, team building skills. I asked a client one day, I said, you know, how do you decide to pay someone a half a million dollars a year or more? And he thought for a minute and he said, the person who can build a strong team for me is extremely valuable to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I found that to be a real profound answer in that uh, the person that can build a strong team, whether it's a pastor or a corporate executive or a 
government uh, uh, leader is extremely, extremely valuable. And it, it turns out to be a strong leader. Uh, so a person who can, there, there are three uh, real strong dimensions of leadership. Number one is uh, clear direction. You have to have clear direction as a leader. Number two is, is the ability uh, to build an organization or build a team. And the third is the ability to deal with cash or money. So the, the three dimensions are clear direction, the right organization, and enough cash. The, the DOC, D-O-C, uh, mm-hmm. whenever, you're, whenever you're unclear on where to go next, uh, what to do next. Uh, if, if you're struggling today with uh, what's our next step, whether you're a small organization or a large one, you can be the governor of your state. You can be uh, an organization of 10 people. You can be an organization of three people. And you're wondering, what, what do I do next? Ask yourself this. Do I have a clear sense of direction? Do I have a clear team? Do I have the right team? And do we have enough money? Those three things are 85% of leadership. I've asked a lot of CEOs, presidents, uh, senior executives. Would you agree with me that 85% of leadership is clear direction, the right team, and enough money? I've yet to have one that said, oh, no, no, it isn't nearly that much. Most of them say it's that much or maybe more. So the the difference between the highly successful and the moderately successful are that the highly successful have typically focused on the big, big picture. And the highly successful have focused on the ability to focus on clear direction, Keith. They have the ability to to basically sort out the boulders. Here are our top three things for the next year. Here are the top three things for the next quarter. If we could only accomplish three things in the next 90 days, what three things would we do? In the next year, what three things would we do? That kind of thing. And then do we have the right team? Have we got the right people? And then do we have enough money? The people that become highly successful have the ability to sort out clear direction, the right team, and enough money. The people that are moderately successful sort of, oh, they sort of get confused with direction. They have the, the sort of the feeling of rescuing people, choosing the wrong people, staying with people too long when they should have released them too, you know, a long time ago, and not knowing how to get the right amount of money. They, they never have quite enough money. They don't know quite how to get enough money. That's, those are the primary differences between highly successful and moderately successful. If I could put my finger on three main differences, clear direction, the right team, and enough money, 85% of leadership. Wow, I love it. That's, that's amazing. I mean, if you're listening to this, Try to assess your leadership based on those things. Are you 
Are you clear in where you're heading? Are you building the right team? Are you managing the resources and knowing where to where to allocate resources the right way? That's a brilliant, brilliant observation, Bob. You also talked about visibility too. And you know, one of the things that sets one leader apart who's uber successful from somebody who's not is visibility and 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 you know, sometimes leaders have this great character trait of humility that kinds of keeps them out of the spotlight. But sometimes it's counter counterproductive to the growth of the organization. Sometimes you gotta be willing to put your face and your name and your your products and your services out there through marketing and branding so that you have that visibility um, so that people know who you are and what you're doing and what you're offering. So thank you so much for that, that information. If I may, can we just, uh, you, you talked about DOC. I know that there are three other letters that you teach in organizational leadership that go along with DOC, direction, organization, and cash. Can you unpack those three other letters that spell out the word doctor? Yes. The T-O-R box? Uh, Basically, uh, T.D. Jakes, who is a name that most people are familiar with, uh, basically said there are two words that are really important in, uh, in, in success in a ministry. He said, you have to have both the message and the machine, which I thought was uh, pretty, sort of boiling it down to pretty much the essence. He said, if you have the message, you have a clear message, but you don't have the machine under you, uh, you're not going to get very far. But if you have a great machine or organization, but not a clear message, you're not going to get very much very far either. I think that is really, really good. Mm-hmm. And so if you have the clear direction, the right team, enough money, but you don't have the internal machine under you, uh, you're going to falter quite a bit. And so, uh, basically, your clear message is you have clear direction, organization, and cash. But the machine under you is your tracking or your your reporting system, and your organization, your op, your uh, uh, your your basically your uh, your uh, evaluation process, your overall evaluation process. And mm-hmm. your refinement, your uh, ongoing refinement process. Okay. So you basically have to have the ability to track what your staff is doing. You have to have the overall evaluation of that staff and your programming, and you have to have your refinement process. No matter what, again, what size your organization, it can be three people, five people, 50 people. 5,000 people, you have to have the ability to track what they're doing, evaluate what they're doing, and refine what you're doing. That's the machine part of your organization. And then when you get it refined, you come back year after year after year for the next 50 years. After you get it refined and come right back to the direction, organization, and cash. Once you get that set for the year, you come back to tracking overall evaluation refinement and you get it refined. And that basic doctor process is what you go through year after year after year after year for the next 50 years, really. 
is that's the simple essence of the planning process, really. And again, that can take you from three people to 30 people to 300 to 3,000 people. And again, that's the simple essence of, uh, of three, three people to 300,000 people. Because no matter what the size of the organization, it has to have clear direction. It has to have the right organization. It has to have the right amount of cash. It has to have tracking systems. It has to have evaluation process. And it has to have refining process. And based on what, the, once you get the refining process, it has to go right back to direction again. So that's basically the essence of leadership, Keith, is that doctor process yes. is uh, just year after year of just staying with it. And a lot of people don't realize they hear a name uh, of an organization like Chick-fil-A or Campus Crew, or they hear a name, uh, you know, of any organization, Focus on the Family, or they hear uh, uh, Zion, or they hear, you know, just they hear various names of key organizations like yours. And they think, oh, well, you know, that that came up overnight. The reality is you've been there decades building the, uh, the visibility, the credibility, the ability. And it takes years to build a strong base and year after year just building the team. Um, I, I was with uh, both Dr. Dobson and Dr. Bill Bright on about their 65th birthday. And... They said to me, Bob, you know, it just feels like my team has finally come together. This was on their 65th birthday, or, you know, within a week or so, their 65th birthday. It wasn't on their 35th birthday or their 45th or their 55th birthday, Keith. This was on their 65th birthday. They felt their team finally came together. A lot of people on their, when they're 28 or 38 or 48 feel like, I should have my, my dreams should have come together already. I, I should have this large church already. I should have this large corporation already. I should be rich already. I should be famous already. I should be, you know, I should have it all together already. I say, oh, hold on. You know, your most productive decade of all is your 60s, not your 30s or 40s or 50s relax relax mm -hmm. trust god's timing your most productive decade of your lifetime is your 60s not your 30s or 40s relax and, and just wow. grow it and build it and and relax and and trust god's timing uh, and just keep building it takes it takes years or decades to build a major strong organization that will last 30 40 50 60 years and be productive over that amount of time an organization that will last 30 40 50 or up to 100 years like the salvation army 100 150 years it takes it takes decades to build an organization like that it doesn't take five years to build a hundred year organization it takes five years to get it started but it doesn't take five years to build. It takes decades to build the foundation of an organization that will last 100 years. So, uh, you know, just just uh, relax. It takes 
it, it takes decades to build the foundation of a hundred year organization. Bob, that is so helpful. And I hope you all are listening. This is Bob Beal, executive mentor has been doing this for 43 years, has helped over 500 executives and companies and organizations all over the country. And what you just did is given us an opportunity to get to sit back in a recliner and say, okay, I'm building, I'm building, I'm building and being patient to build something that will, that will last a hundred years or 50 years takes time. So thank you so much for that. And for that doctor acronym, excellent, excellent information. I've learned so much from you over the years, Bob, and I've, I've got, I've got in my, in my office, I've got files. I have files called the Bob Bill files. And for those of you who are Googling, Googling Bob Bill is spelled B-O-B-B. He spells his name with two B's, B-I-E-H-L. Uh, I've got files from taking notes from our meetings, conversations, trainings, uh, all, all kinds of stuff. And one of the things that you teach is in leadership is about leadership fatigue and how it leads to foggy thinking and ultimately flirting. Can you unpack those three words for us and tell our audience about those three words, fatigue, foggy, and flirting, and explain how it impacts a leader? Sure. I believe, Keith, that the three greatest enemies of leadership are these three words. And they're in a sequence other than Satan himself, the three greatest le- the enemies of leadership are fog is the first one, fatigue is the second one, and flirtations is the third one. And fog, when, let's say you're in a deep fog, and let, well, let's say you're driving your favorite sports car. Let's say it's a Lamborghini, and you come over this hill on the Autobahn where there are no speed limits, and you're doing about 180 miles an hour, and, you, and you're just tooling along on a bright blue sunny day, and you come over this hill, and you look down in the valley, and you see this dense fog. And it, what's the smartest thing you can do? And every, everyone, you know, in every crowd, there's someone that says, yeah, to, you know, you, you speed up. But we all know that that's not the answer. You have to slow down to a mile or two an hour. And it doesn't matter how, how much juice you got under the hood. You have to slow down. And you have to slow down in a major way. That's true of mental horsepower as well as at metal horsepower and it doesn't matter how smart you are uh, if you don't know what direction you're going if you're you're foggy in your thinking and you don't quite know where to go you better slow down if you're if you're foggy in your thinking you better slow down and uh, it, it's just Everyone knows this, but you get to the point where you just, you just, it's foggy and you better get some help sort of clarifying the fog. But if you, if you go for a week or a month or even a year of foggy thinking, what's going to happen? The second enemy of leadership, you're going to be exhausted. Driving in a fog is exhausting. You've all, we've all, as adults, experienced that. Vince Lombardi, the great coach of the Green Bay Packers, said, fatigue 
makes cowards of us all. We've also experienced that where once we get really exhausted, fatigue makes cowards of us all. What seems easy when we're rested seems impossible when we're exhausted. It just seems overwhelming when we're exhausted. And that leads to the third enemy of leadership, which is flirtations. I'm not talking about sexual or, or that kind of flirtations. I'm talking about flirting with ideas we should never flirt with. Flirting with ideas like, I don't think I've got what it takes. I think I should just resign. I, think, I don't think I'll ever make it. I don't think I've got the juice to do it. I, I just think I, uh, you know, and we just spin into a negative hole. We just get exhausted. And we just, the further we go, the deeper it gets and the darker it seems. That's why it just seems like those are the three enemies of leadership. And I've seen that, that they're inviolate. When you get foggy, it leads to fatigue, and fatigue leads to flirtations. If this is where you are today, if you're just feeling overwhelmed by the, uh, by the fog and the fatigue and the flirtations, let me suggest this to your thinking. Let me suggest that you take a pen and a pencil and get to your quiet place. Your quiet place might be under a tree. It might be at a Starbucks of all places. Sometimes a noisy place, but where you're quiet and alone is a, is a quiet place for you. It could be anywhere where you can get alone to think. You get a pen and a paper or your laptop or wherever you can write and begin making a list of your life milestones. Start from zero to 10 and then your teens and 20s and 30s and 40s or however many decades you have. And list, make a list of all the milestones you've accomplished in your lifetime. What you're going to begin to see is that the further you go, the more encouraged you become. As we look ahead, we begin to get, become overwhelmed at how far we've got to go. But as we look back, we begin to be encouraged by how far we've come. As you look back, you're going to be encouraged by how far you've come. You're going to be encouraged by the fact that there have been other times like this that you've been, been discouraged, but you've actually overcome it. You've actually gotten to the point where you found ways around the roadblocks that you that are, were like the ones you're feeling today. And you've, you've actually gotten to the point where you've, you've, you've gotten to where you've gotten new hope and you've, got a, you've gotten a way around it. And you've come to the point where you've overcome it and you've gotten new hope and encouragement. Uh, uh, those milestones actually become very, very encouraging as you look back. I would encourage you to do the same thing with your team. Whenever your team gets feeling sort of discount, down and discouraged and, and negative, don't look up. Don't look at the goals and, and try to cheer them up like, hey, we've got goals. We've got future. We've got no, no, no. Stop and look back. Look back at the milestones you've already accomplished as a team. And what you're going to find is as you look back, the team begins to be up. As you look at what you've already accomplished for the year, 
your team will be actually begin to get encouraged. So whatever you do, whenever you, your head gets to begin to feel foggy, do whatever you can to get your head out of the fog because you want to avoid it, fatigue at all costs and avoid fatigue by getting rest. And whenever you see yourself flirting with ideas you should never flirt with, get yourself to your quiet place, make a list of your milestones, rest, get out of the fatigue, get out of the fog, and, and basically ask yourself this. If I could only accomplish three things in the next 90 days, what three things would I accomplish? And just focus on those, and that gives you a sense of direction, and that gets your head out of the fog. It may not be you know, a life plan, but it will get your head out of the fog for a little while, and it'll give you a sense of direction, at least for now. You know, Bob, I feel like that's like somebody listening needed exactly what you just said. And, you know, because we see it all the time, people just 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 hopeless. They're depressed. They feel like they can't go any further. And it's because they're fatigued because they just have been in that fog you described. So I hope you guys are listening. will take his advice and get alone and look back on your accomplishments. Look back on each decade, you know, you know. What you accomplished in your first 10 years of life, your second 10 years of life, etc. Milestones that, you know, you said one time, nothing motivates like yeah. results. And it actually doing it for your team. Your team is frustrated. Looking back, hey, Law, look at what we've done. Look at what we've accomplished. Look at what we've got. Look at look at how far we've come. And then we can we can you like you said, and then then, then create three new goals for the next 90 days. I love that. Because a lot of leaders are discouraged, sitting on the sidelines. They quit, but they haven't left because they don't know where to go next. But this could be the very tool. Again, these are tools that you teach and share. This could be the very tool that can help unlock some things for a leader. Bob, what, go yeah, ahead. That's right. Yeah. So one of, one of your most transforming tools is your book, Decade mm-hmm. by Decade. Um, definitely one of my favorites. Um, I'm on a, I'm on a national mission to get it into as many hands as I can. So if you ever see me or you want to go to Bob's website, we'll tell you how in a moment where to go to get the book. Um, I have pieces of them in my house because I want everybody. I know. Yeah, that's great. Let's, let's do this 30 seconds on each decade maybe 30 to 60 seconds if you just run us through each decade. And then I'll, I'll, I'll come back to them and maybe unpack one or two decades. All right. Um, okay. Each decade has a word that if you can remember that decade, you'll remember the essence of the decade. Uh, basically, as an introduction, I've spent, like Keith said, about 50,000 hours listening to executives and listening to them about their children and their wives and their husbands and their their children and their parents and their uh, just listening and hearing heaviness and, and concerns and and uh, that kind of thing and what I've done is is I've taken literally hundreds of hours to try to synthesize all that into a book called decade by decade what's normal for the decade and what 
what can you expect to have happen and and what is the greatest need and what's the, what's normal for a decade and i'll tell you what the sort of the focus of each decade is but i've boiled it down into what what's sort of the focus of that decade and i'll give it to you in a word and i go slowly enough so you can probably write it down so if you got a paper and pencil handy you can write it down and um uh, and I'll give you sort of the essence of it. Uh, zero to ten, what your child needs, what the uh, is security. The child, uh, your child, your grandchild, the child down the street, the child in your Sunday school class, the Cub Scout, the the scout in your troop needs, the kid in your soccer team needs, is unconditional love. They need the security that you can bring to them by giving them unconditional love or the teaching about the love of God. A teenager, their word is self. Uh, for those of you who have a teenager, uh, you're not surprised by this word. They're self-absorbed. Me, I, mine. Everything is about me, I, mine. And that's the second yes, decade. The second decade the is teenagers. And... Uh, the best thing you can do for a teenager is to take them on a mission trip. That mission trip may be to Africa or South America or Asia, but it can also be into the urban areas of America where you take them down to the urban area where not everyone has 70 pair of shoes in the closet. And they're complaining because they don't have 71 like the person next door. But self, the third decade is the 20s. And the, the word for the 20s is actually survival. And if you're in their 20s, the word that you're, you may be looking for or struggling with is actually the word survival. You may have just graduated from Harvard or Yale or one of the biggest schools in the country, and yet your word that you're wrestling with is the word survival. The word you're wrestling with emotionally and experiencing emotionally is the word survival. And what that means is not you're trying to wonder, can I survive physically, but emotionally, can I survive in the adult world? And uh, the book Decade by Decade spends a lot of time just talking about that and uh, just talking about how to, how to, deal with the 20s really and it, for example uh, your 20s are not a time when you're trying to decide what to do with the rest of your life it's a time when you're deciding what not to do with the rest of your life because the uh you, it, no one should expect you to know what you're supposed to do with the rest of your life you remember the most productive decade of your life is your 60s not your 20s so what you should do with your 20s is basically try this if it doesn't if it doesn't feel right in a year or so do something else and if that doesn't feel right do something else you don't want to get stuck in something and be doing it when you're 45 and still being stuck there when you're 45 so you're trying to figure out what you want to do a lot of people don't know what they really want to do until they're 30 or 40. And a lot of people, executives I've worked with, finally figure out what they want to do for the rest of their life when they're 50 years old. So anyway, survival is the emotional struggle of the 20s. 
The third ease is success. If you're list, if you're listening, and you're and and in your in your thirties, you're climbing the slippery pole of success, and you're wondering how can I be more successful? How can I get the better job, the the promotion, the bigger car, the bigger house? How can I be more and more successful? How can I be a millionaire? The problem is you don't even know what a millionaire is. It's like I ask a lot of people. Uh, um, what is success to you? Do you know what a millionaire is? Well, I'm not sure. Do you mean a millionaire meaning net worth of a million or make a million dollars a day or a million dollars a year? Well, I, I don't know. It's like a million, a million hasn't even been defined. Success hasn't been defined. I say success is simply a feeling. It isn't a place. It isn't a destination. It's simply a feeling you get when you do what you set out to do. Success is not a place. It's simply a feeling. If you set out to make a million, you make a million, you feel successful. You make 900,000, you don't feel successful. If you, if you set out to make 900,000, you make a million, you feel very successful. It's simply a feeling. The 40s, if you're 40, your word is significance. When you, when you're in your 30s, your word is success. But by the time you're 40s, you begin thinking, I'm very successful, but I wonder, is it making any difference? So by the time you hit 37, 38, 39, you begin wondering, I know I'm successful, but is any of this making any difference? I wonder, is, it, is, it, is, it, is what I'm doing significant at all? And the 40s are your decade of greatest struggle, frankly. It's where the kids becoming teenagers, and and uh, the, there's the mortgage is higher, and they got three cars instead of one, and it, it's just a decade of, of struggle. The fifties are where yes, Bob, quickly the fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties. Just give us quickly okay. the word the and maybe one thought about it because most of my audience we've already right. covered okay. the fifties is stride. The 60s is strategic. The 70s is succession. By the way, your dad is wondering, dad and mom are wondering about uh, succession. When you go home, mm -hmm. they're wondering, are you ready to take over? Succession is the, is the focus, the preoccupation of a parent in the 70s. 80s, 80s is uh, basically health, is... Uh, it is basically health, and it's, it, the health feels slippery. Like, am I going to survive it? And uh, the 90s is sleep. I just want to go to, to lay down, go to sleep, and wake up in heaven. So that's basically a feel of what each decade represents. Yeah, so y'all can get the book if you want more details. I want to go back to the first mm -hmm. decade briefly because we're running out of time about fourth grade. Okay. You believe that around nine years old is the most shaping, defining time yes. in human life. Can you explain why you believe that? The, the fourth grade is where our adult comfort zones are established. What you are comfortable doing in the fourth grade is what you are comfortable doing today as an adult, as a young adult. And uh, even as a mature adult in your 40s, 50s. Uh, and... Um, 
age nine is where we uh, are old enough to be able to concentrate. When you're, we're eight, we can't concentrate. We're nine, we can. We're 10, we set up barriers to, to basically feelings. I, I haven't got time to explain it all, but age nine is where we can concentrate to the point where we can understand it, but our hearts are wide open and we don't have a lot of defenses for it. And so, like, for example, when our parents get a divorce when we're eight, we really can't, can't really understand what's going on all that much. When we're nine, we understand it and feel it wide open. When we're nine, we have defenses to we, we won't let it hurt us all that much. Um, when we're 10, I'm sorry. I've had a lot of clients say to me, uh, my parents, when I was a child, got a divorce. I say, how old were you? I was eight. Uh, it really didn't mean that much to me. You know, I didn't really understand it at the time. I was nine. It blew me apart. I've never recovered. Yep. I was 10. It really didn't mean that much because I was, you know, sort of, you know, I sort of had my defenses against it. In other words, I've had, uh, that's a quick version of it, but that's the difference of no. it. It's, it's so profound. And I think as a parent, if you're listening, paying real close attention to what you say and what you surround your nine-year-old with because and paying attention to what they're comfortable doing, what their you know strengths are and you know all of that, it, you get a lot of data about their future at that age. And uh, my, my mother remarried when I was nine years old and my father. And that was traumatizing because it made sense out of their divorce that took place when I was five. So, I, you know, I've, I've long been traumatized by that. And that, so I've seen so many um, talking to executives myself using that tool. Your fourth grade tool has proven over and over again to be spot on. So. Uh, hopefully you'll write more we, about we have, that. Or Keith, we have a video on that available on the website. And I'm just finishing today, this day, the uh, book called The Fourth Grade goes to the publisher. So uh, that is uh, wow. that is uh, in the process as well. I love it. I love it. And Bob, just really quickly, what's your website? BobBeal.com. It's B-O-B-B-B-I-E-H-L.com. I love it. I love it. Two more decades I want us to look into. One is the 30s. Let's go back mm -hmm. to the 30s for okay. me. It's a decade of success. And you once said to me that most entrepreneurs will probably start their first business around age yes. 34. I've asked many, many, many entrepreneurs, how, how old, were you, old were you when you started your business? The most frequent response is 34. And... Yep. The reason that's right. that that's true or that's that's uh, typical is that they're old enough to have gone through their 20s, gotten the amount of experience they've got and uh, have uh, gotten a, a little bit of capital, a little bit of credibility, had some success and failures out of the 20s, gotten some confidence in their early 30s, gotten an idea that they they trust enough to try it. And yet not have the uh well just basically have that and they're ready to try it that's the that's 34. i love it i love it it was true in my case too 
So if there's a 34-year-old out there or a 32-year-old, 37-year-old, whatever age the entrepreneur is who's launching an enterprise, what are the big rocks that they need must have in place? We already know they need direction, organization, and cash. But another thing you taught me about was those other three big circles, the bill circles. Can you talk about that and and the importance of those bill, what you call bill circles in in building something that can last, you know, significantly. Whether they're paid staff or unpaid team, what a lot of people would call volunteers, there are three uh, functions or positions that you need in a company long-term. And the, the quicker you get them, the, the, the better. Number one is what I call a driving force. That is the idea person that, that takes the company to times 10. In other words, that's the person that has the idea, the growth, the drive, that says, I want this idea to go to times 10. They believe in the idea. They want to grow the idea. They want to they want to take it to times 10 its size, whatever the size is, they want to grow it to times 10. Then there's the creative money person. This is not the bookkeeper. This is not the CFO. It's not the uh, book. Uh, you know, this is the creative money person. This could be a person you meet with once a month, but this is a person that's the Everything they touch turns to gold. This is a person that's wealthy themselves already. This is a person that that uh, you may meet with for breakfast once a month. But this is a person that is very creative when it comes to money. This is a person you can turn to to say, hey, how would you buy this building? I'm about to buy this building. I'm about to invest this money. <clears throat> if you were me, how would you do this? That's the creative money person. And then the third person is you need a team builder. This is the person that knows how to hire and knows how to fire, knows how to build the team. This person has been building teams since the fourth grade. This is the person on the fourth grade playground. Everyone wanted to be on their team. Now, what you want to ask yourself is, by nature, am I a driving force or am I a creative money person or am I a team builder? Where do I fit on on in that in that in those three cir- circles, or do I just like playing on a team? Yeah, which leads to the whole presidential captain and and uh, middle captain mm-hmm. and those 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 things team you know the team building profile that you have i mean when you go on bob's website if you're an organizational leader someone who's working within an organization that you have influence on the direction and and infrastructure of the organization you need to check out bob bill's materials on organizational leadership it is phenomenal so bob i got one more question about decade by decade then i'm going to go down to what i call rapid fire right. we're going to wrap it up Let's talk about the right. 40s. A little deeper into the 40s, you teach, you teach that sometime between the ages of 45 to 49, so on the back half of that decade of significance and struggle, we need to kind of like stop mm-hmm. doing stuff, like narrow our focus and eliminate things yes. professionally. Can you explain that to our audience? Like, what should a person who's 45 to 49 
be getting ready for or being eliminating? What, what, what should be happening? And Basically, why? from 40 to 45, a person is asking, uh, what is my single greatest strength? By 40 to 45, you've learned that there are a lot of things you do well. In your success decade of the 30s, you've gotten to the point where you know, hey, I've tried this, tried this. There are a lot of things I do really, really well. But 40 to 45, you realize, I've, I've got a lot of things I do well, but what do I do best? I'm still forced to do, because of my responsibilities, a lot of things. But they aren't my single greatest strength. So 40 to 45, wonder, what's my greatest strength? And at 45 to 50, you're saying, Okay, if this is my greatest strength, what do I stop doing? Because if I don't stop something, I'm going to go half crazy because I'm doing so many things. I'm about to burn out here. I've got so many things that I I'm on boards. I'm on. I've got I've got I've got so much responsibility. I'm about to burn out. I, I've got I'm going in so many directions. I. I I never see the kids. I never see the wife. I, I again, I've got so many payments. I, I, I'm just the, the late forties is when you have the heart attacks. Is when you have the affairs. It's when it's like you just can't run quite fast enough to keep everything going, and you realize I've got to slow up. I've got to stop something. I've got to find time for me. I've got to protect myself. I've got to start exercising more. I, I've got to stop something. And that's, and so what you do is you've got to say, uh, of all the things, well, of, of all the things I do well, what do I do the best? And how can I let go of some of the other stuff uh, to maximize what I do best? Because the real key is to find out what you do best and do it. That's that's the real key to it. Find what I do best and Excellent. do it. Which mean which which goes into your fifties when you hit your stride. That makes hitting a stride an exactly. even better stride, right? Peter Drucker is right. the one that really helped me see that. He said, "Find out what you do best and do it." And and um, he said the other thing was he said the role of an organization is to maximize the strength of the individual and make their weakness irrelevant. The moment you said that, I thought, nice. you know, I buy that as the role of, that, that's basically good organizational development philosophy. The role of an organization is to maximize the strength of the individual and make their weakness irrelevant. When you're building a team, that's, that's, your, that's, your, that's your philosophy of building a team is to maximize the strength of the individual and make their weakness irrelevant. Wow. This has been great, Bob. My final section is called rapid fire. And basically these are like one right. word answers or simple, like real short I, answers. So rapid fire so far, is. Keith. All right. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's go. All right. You live Scottsdale. in Scottsdale, Arizona, but Scottsdale, beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona, but you spend your summers at a lake cabin in Canada writing. So the question is, what topic, if any, would you like to write more about next or in the future? Evangelism. Just on your, Evangelism. On your nice, nice. Question number two, 
What's your dream for your children? Heaven. Good. What's your favorite pastime? Thinking. Hmm. What's your second favorite beverage? Since I already, beverage, since I already know that Dr. Water. Pepper is your Water. favorite. <laughs> if someone wants to get into counsel, I'm sorry, if someone wants to get into consulting or become a successful consultant, what are one or two essentials that every consultant needs to have or do? Listen. Hmm. Mm. Wow. What's your dream for your grandchildren? Heaven. Yeah. Do you ever reflect on how you will be remembered? And if so, how do you want to be remembered? It can be more than one word. It can be a phrase. That's the thinker, y'all. You hear him thinking? (laughs) I think he's writing, too. You still there, Bob? I thought a lot about that uh, when I was 34 years old, Keith. I thought a lot about that. I mean, I thought for hours about that. What would I want on my tombstone? And here's what I came up with. He loved me. Wow. And it it hasn't really changed. Wow. Out of all the tools you've developed, what are just a few of your favorites to come to mind? Decade by decade. Uh, book evangelism. Uh, asking profound questions. Team profile. Nice, nice. By the way, book evangelism, Bob has this concept where for people who may not feel comfortable going and just starting up a conversation that leads to a, a sharing of the gospel with with a person that one of the things we can do is leave um, spiritual literature uh, in places where people can pick it up and it's just free. And he's done that left books in the lobby of his of the building where he lives and people have just taken it and helped themselves to it. And it's a really cool concept that he's writing about. So we're looking forward to that book. Two more out of all of your organizational tools, what have you found to be the most difficult for leaders to execute? So here's the tool. If you use this tool, it'll work. But what is one of the most difficult tool for leaders to execute? Most difficult and most productive is seven vital signs and five critical standards. Uh, that is yeah. so extremely helpful. Uh, mm-hmm. You have a video on me? that too, Bob, on your you have a video yes. on that on your website. Uh, it, there's a free video. It, uh, 
Yes, I have one on the website. Yeah, we'll, we'll find a way for people to get it. It's, it's exceptional. All right, Bob, that's it for me. Any final thoughts you have for our audience? Yeah. Anything? Yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah. Uh, Keith, uh, you are one of my uh, favorite uh, uh, I wish I had time to expand on it, but favorite proteges. I, I wish I had time to expand on it, but I know, I know we're out of time. But uh, I really I, I really, I really do admire and respect you. And um, uh, uh, I really believe you are going to make a huge, significant difference in this world. Thank you. That means a lot because you know a lot of people and you've seen a lot of difference made. So thank you. Thank you for your belief in me. And, you know, I love you and Cheryl and look forward to our, our time coming up. Look forward to being in Arizona in the winter anyway. But it's even better right. to be there with you guys. Yes. Well, listen, y'all, that's it for this, this week's edition of the Key Battle Podcast. This is one for the ages right here. I'm just grateful that I was able to get my mentors thinking on a platform like this. I just interviewed on my podcast my mentor Bob Bill. I'm 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 having a cool day. I'm having a cool year. I hope this edition of the Keep Battle Podcast bless you and I thank you for listening. So my advice is enjoy your weekend and the week ahead and please make the most of every season of your life. Peace and blessings until the next time. This is Keep Battle.